So, all right. Hello out there. Once again, to all of y'all out yonder uh, in points unknown out there in the Cotton Belt. Welcome to another episode of the Cotton Companion. This is episode 11, I believe, if I'm doing my math correctly. Uh, today is Thursday, January 28th. We're getting into late dis- uh, late January here uh, in Memphis. It is flipping cold outside, let me tell y'all. It's not my favorite time of year. We have, uh, of course, this is Memphis, very basketball city. Basketball's in full swing. We have the Super Bowl coming up. Um, gosh, it's not, not a week, next A week from Sunday. A week from Sunday. There you go. We... Um, who do we have? Panthers versus the Broncos. I have a sneaking suspicion that Cotton Grower senior editor Jim Stebman will be pulling for the Broncos next week. He is a lifelong Vol fan. Uh, Jim, can you confirm? I can confirm, and not only uh, not only the fact that uh, that Peyton Manning is quarterbacking the team, but there are two other former Vols also on the team. Oh, I see. Well, we, I mean, if we're going there, I mean, Ole Miss has some people in the game too. We were, I didn't think we were going. We we're just talking about Peyton. Big game for Peyton. The uh, the sheriff. Yeah, but you hate at this point, in, you know this the, as big a game as this is. You hate to exclude anybody else. There you go. That's true. We'll hear. Believe me, as <laughs> all of y'all know, we'll hear every single possible narrative going into this game over the next couple of weeks. So we are looking forward to it, of course. Um, as far as uh, the cotton world, we are going to start off today as we always do with a recap of the latest breaking news items that have uh, gone on in our industry over the past couple of weeks. The last time we talked to y'all was two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, yeah, yes. Keep, we are keeping to our schedule. I'm proud of us. Uh, so a lot has happened since then. Uh, their uh, Enlist Duo continues on its roller coaster ride through that uh, wacky Ninth Circuit Court, I believe, out there in San Francisco. There's been some developments on that front. Jim is going to talk us through that. We've also got... Uh, something that I know will be of big interest to, to all of y'all out there. Some rumblings out of the Far East. Um, there are some rumors that China is getting ready to dump a large amount of their cotton stock out onto the market, and we know that that could uh, that could have some big ramifications in the cotton market and as far as y'all's bottom line. So we are going to take sort of a first examination of that uh, when we get into that segment. Later in our program, we have a, a cool interview that I did earlier this week with the good folks at, oh, I'm always butchering their name, Applied DNA Sciences. And these this is a small company, I believe they're out of New York. And uh, these folks are, they provide this service. I'll get into it when we get into that interview. But long story short, they're going to help build demand for U.S. cotton. They're going to help uh, U.S. cotton brand itself. I got... Um, you know, 10 minutes deep into this interview with these guys earlier this week, and I started thinking to myself, man, you know, they're, what they're describing sounds so on point of Cotton Incorporated's messaging, particularly with Cotton Leads. And I sort of threw it out there during this interview as an aside, and, and they go, well, actually, yes, we have been in touch with Cotton Incorporated. So it can't, it kind of, it, it shouldn't have caught me as a surprise as it did because um, what they're doing dovetails so nicely with what the good folks at Cotton Inc. Are trying to accomplish and that is build demand worldwide for american cotton try to get some price relief uh, for you guys who are producing this stuff so i don't want to get too deep into that we will get there later in the program uh for now i want you to stick around we're going to discuss all of those topics and more when we come back right after this short break Cotton Grower Magazine has the honor of saluting exceptional sacrifice and contribution to the cotton industry through our annual Cotton Grower Cotton Achievement Award. 
Since 1970, Cotton Grower has handed out this distinguished honor to one individual who demonstrates tireless dedication to the cotton industry through involvement, innovation, and leadership in those issues that have a large impact on U.S. cotton as a whole. Achievement Award winners are chosen after extensive research and thoughtful input from around the industry. Cotton Grower offers sincere gratitude to Case IH and to Delta Pine for sponsoring the Cotton Grower Cotton Achievement Award. In joining the effort to recognize and honor industry leaders, these companies demonstrate their devotion to the cotton industry and their desire to see growers succeed. Well, welcome back, everybody. As, as Beck said, we're going to take a look at some of the uh, the more newsy items that are going on in the cotton industry right now, uh, which is really kind of an, an interesting perspective because this time of year is, is we're into meeting season, and, and a lot of meeting season basically means you sit, you listen to things that happened last year, you look at new varieties, you look at new possibilities that will help you this year, but there's really not a lot of hard news coming out in the industry at this point. Uh, but as Beck mentioned, one of the things we want to bring you back up to speed with is the uh, the continuing roller coaster ride that uh, Dow AgriSciences Enlist Duo herbicide uh, has been on for the last month and a half. If you recall, back in November, uh, the U.S. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in San Francisco uh, basically worked with EPA, or, or EPA filed a motion through the Ninth Circuit Court to vacate the uh, registration for Enlist Duo based on some new information that they had received from Dow AgriSciences that could possibly impact the registration. Uh, this week there's been an amazing reversal. Uh, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has basically told EPA, no, you cannot vacate the product's registration while you're doing the evaluation on this new information. So what it basically means is the product's label remains intact. Uh, it can continue to be sold. It is, as, as everybody in the cotton market knows, still awaiting cotton approval or approval for use on Enlist Cotton, and we know that there will be Enlist Cotton varieties in the market this year. Uh, so, and I, and I guarantee, or I'm, I'm reasonably sure, that, uh, that we won't see a cotton label until they've finished looking at all the new information at this point. But for those folks who are uh, who are growing corn and soybeans, uh, the product will still be available for use in the, uh, the Enlist varieties uh, for those crops. Uh, it is still basically registered for 15 states at this point. Uh, there is not yet a Chinese approval for, uh, for Enlist corn, so for that reason they are, uh, they are kind of still restricting the, the acreage uh, for that crop. But uh, from the cotton producing states, uh, it is registered in Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, and Kansas, plus 10 Midwestern states. And it's safe to say that the, a, a good bit of the work that was done last year was done up in the Midwest. So again, sit back and, and, and watch because it appears that uh, things are, are continuing to happen uh, regarding this product, uh, regarding EPA's plans, and we'll just kind of see what happens next. Yeah, it, it, I, it would be interesting to know what our friends over there at uh, Dow, they've got to just kind of be scratching their heads as this thing swings back and forth. I mean, I would guess they would assume this most recent thing is a win. I would, I think they would sit back and consider it a win. I mean, they're working very closely with EPA to answer the, those remaining questions 
and provide the additional information at this point. But uh, the fact that the uh, that the EPA is not able to or was not allowed to vacate the label like they originally intended is definitely a win for Dow. Yeah. So uh, it, it allows them to keep their programs in place moving into 2016. It really doesn't change anything at all at this point in terms of Enlist Cotton. Uh, those That cotton variety for Enlist uh, that will be coming out in Phytogen brands will still come onto the market whether we have an approval uh, to use Enlist Duo on cotton or not. So uh, everything seems to be moving right along. Uh, obviously the folks that we talked to at uh, during the Beltwide that were with Dow were, you know, expressed a great deal of confidence that we would have the product available uh, going into the 2016 season. They so, did, yeah. You know, fingers crossed, time will tell. There you go. Uh, the next item I wanted to talk about briefly uh, swings over into the ginning side of the industry and we've been getting some information about a new bale packaging system called GenFast. Uh, it's produced by Signode, uh, Signode Packaging Systems who have been a longtime player in the uh, in the packaging and strapping business uh, for cotton gins. Uh, but this new bale packaging basically uh, takes the strapping out of the uh, out of the equation by using uh, a single, as they call it, a single consumable bag without the wire or strapping. Now, please keep in mind that that the work on this is being done on a very limited basis with just a few gins, few selected gins around the cotton belt. Uh, the whole process is still currently under evaluation by the National Cotton Council's Joint Cotton Industry Bale Packaging Committee, and uh, and. From what I understand, they will be making a, uh, a ruling on uh, the viability of the product as we get, uh, get closer to ginning season this year. But uh, in essence, what you're looking at is a bag that is woven with, as they say, 860 highly oriented PET tapes. PET, of course, a very, very common plastic uh, that provides more consistency and uniformity for improved handling, stacking stability, and warehouse space utilization. Um, what they have shown, shown so far uh, is they can get bales in and out of the press uh, much quicker than they can with the strap bales. Uh, possibility of going up to 90 bales per hour in terms of, uh, of production. And at the mill level, once these bales get delivered to the mills, uh, there's what they say is it also helps reduce the potential for injuries associated with cutting and removal of wire and plastic strapping. Uh, and obviously just the disposal of, uh, of the plastic bags and the, and the wires and straps. In fact, Signode already has a plan in place to recycle these GenFast bags, uh, collecting them at the textile mills to process them into other packaging products. So something else just to keep in mind uh, in, a, in a side of the industry that, that sometimes gets overlooked except once a year. And uh, we'll, we'll kind of keep an eye on that. Uh, the Signode folks have told us that they will have uh, they will be showing the system uh, in more detail at the Mid-South Farm and Gin Show, which comes up the end of February. So if you're in the Memphis area and you're interested, uh, please come by the Cook Convention Center. I'm sure you'd uh, sure they would be happy to share with you the information they have. Absolutely, as would Cotton Grower Magazine at the Cotton oh, Grower booth. Absolutely. <laughs> and the uh, the last item, as Beck alluded to. Um, in the past two weeks, we've started hearing rumblings uh, throughout the industry uh, that China may be getting ready to make a move 
with the uh, the stockpile of, of cotton that they have sitting in warehouses uh, around the country. Uh, it's been confirmed then in a January 19th report from Reuters that they are going to do something. They've been consulting, uh, the government has been consulting with textile, with their own textile and cotton industry on plans to sell part of the stockpile, uh, which is a move that may drive domestic prices in China lower and further reduce import demand. Now, keep in mind, China, when China buys stocks or buys cotton internally inside the country, they pay their growers a higher price than is the current world price. So in, in some ways, this is going to be a, uh, it's a cost savings, cost cutting, and probably a, uh, you know, a, a red number uh, on the bottom, you know, on the bottom line of the balance sheets for them. Uh, or, uh, China right now holds about 11 million tons of cotton stocks, which is close to half of the, the, the global total. Um, they are looking, uh, I don't know if they've got a, an actual figure set in terms of what they're trying to get rid of or what they're trying to move at this point. Um, last, late last year, they did an auction. They, they put about 64,000 tons, or no, they put it, they had a target, excuse me, of 1 million tons that they wanted to move internally within the country yeah. and sold less than 64,000 tons. So that was, uh, that was not exactly a successful program. I wish I had well, printed out my... My store, right, yeah, not a, not a great program. As far if if their goal was to move out a bunch of it, right, um, that probably speaks to some of the trouble they were. I don't know. I, I don't know for sure, but I would imagine that speaks to the quality of some of this stuff that's been sitting around. I think they couldn't offload. Well, the quality degrades obviously. Yeah. You know, every year that it's sitting in in the warehouses, and that's that's always been the uh, the the concern or the problem that that have been voiced by economists and merchants and and other folks in the industry over the last few years. Yeah. I uh, I wish I had printed off my story that I was doing when I was doing a little bit of homework on this, but I believe the number that I saw was 5 million bales they were trying to uh, essentially dump at some point uh, in, internally, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, but the thing is, it was like a, a two-step forward, one-step back thing because they were also going to buy up some domestic bales too right. Right. Uh, for – so much of this stuff is beyond me, you know. Um, Jim mentioned that we, you know, we heard these rumblings, which is a, which is, I'm sure that he did have some, you know, some other sources. He keeps an eye on this thing. For me, I'm sitting in my office one day and I get a phone call from OA Cleveland. You know, these are the, the rumblings is OA Cleveland calling me up <laughs> and, and wanting me to make sure that I'm aware of this thing. You know, OA, if y'all watch uh, Game of Thrones, I always picture OA as like. Uh, Varus the spider. Do you watch that show? I do Maybe not watch. You the don't show watch now. it. Yeah. Well, you got kids at home. It probably, probably wouldn't be great <laughs> uh, to have on around there. But, but it's the it's the guy who just sort of traffics in knowing things that are going on all around the place. Right. He's like the birds. A pretty apt description. Yeah. Right he says the birds chirp in the east. The birds chirp in the west. So you know, OA reminds me of this guy. OA calls. He's like, listen, my main guy that I lean on. He's mentioned in several people that have told him some of this stuff, but he, he mentioned specifically this guy, Ed Jernigan. At um oh I'm gonna I'm gonna miss his Eddie Jernigan at Alianca. I'm sure I'm butchering that. I need to call Ed. I hope he doesn't hear this podcast before I've reached before out to him. Touch right? yeah. He's like, who who is this kid who is talking about me on a podcast? <laughs> um but anyhow, uh Mr. Jernigan is the one who 
uh, OA puts a lot of stock in what he has to say, and, and OA was saying that he is feeling pretty confident that this is coming, that this is this is this will be here soon enough, and it, and it's totally a situation of, you know, from my very rudimentary understanding of what's going on here. They've got this stock. It's sitting there in their warehouses or wherever they're storing all these. We believe it's about 50 million bales, which is double. It's There's about 50 million, or at least there was at this time last year, on the world market. I will, I will find out more when I sit in uh, Joe Nicosia's. This is where I get my numbers from is Joe Nicosia's speech, which is coming up uh, at the gin show right. in late February. But a year ago, so there's 50 million, on the, 50 million bales on the open market, and then there's 50 million bales in storage inside of China. And so the only way to right-size this market is to get rid of that sort of that is artificially propping up the market sitting in warehouses in China. And it's just like pulling a Band-Aid off. I mean, you can do it like like Jim mentioned. You know, they tried to release a little bit last year, and they couldn't they, – they weren't very successful at it. Now they're trying to dump a bunch. They're trying to rip – even I say a bunch. We're talking about 5 million bales, which is obviously 10% of what they're holding. So – in the grand scheme, it's 10%. But they are, it's ripping the band aid off as compared to what they were trying to do last year. Right. I've, I've just been going back through my notes, and, and this information is, is based on a report from Plexus uh, late last week. Uh, they are looking at uh, the offering price. Nobody knows exactly what that offering price is going to be, uh, but it's apparently going to be market driven based on some type of index formula. Uh, they are looking to basically release about 1.2 million tons, or as you said, 5.5 million statistical bales. Uh, what we don't know at this point is whether this cotton is going to be initially offered to just the Chinese domestic market or whether they're going to put it out on the export market. Uh, so Plexus, being the, the forward-thinking company that they are, took a look and said, well, how would, if, if they went ahead and put all that out on the export market, how would it affect the rest of the world's balance sheet? And, uh, and their basic report is saying uh, China is still going to import 5.5 million bales, and they're going to be looking, obviously, for high-quality cotton on that. Um, but then also, in, in the worst-case scenario, export 5.5 million bales out of their reserve. So in other words, the world-ending stocks really are not going to change that much, as long as things stay at this at this quantity. Uh, so, uh, Plexus is basically saying, in other words, apart from a bearish knee-jerk reaction at the time news gets released, the market should be able to digest five million bales of Chinese inventory over the next six to nine months. Uh, considering that global production is probably going to end up at no more than 98 to 99 million bales when the final tally is in. In other words, world production is going to be down again this year. Uh, world inventories outside of China are at their lowest point in quite a while. So, uh, you know, all we can do is, is report on what we hear at this point. And, and uh, I think the one thing we always have to keep in mind is when it comes to China, nobody really knows what's going on. Yeah, that's I'm literally sitting here shaking <laughs> my head like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand. <clears throat> You know, I, I am. I mentioned listening to Joe uh, Nicosia, who is the president at Allenberg now. He's president or CEO, or maybe he's got a new title. He's way up there. He's up there, and uh, at one of these commodity traders. And uh, anyhow, I look forward to hearing from him because he breaks down sort of what the Chinese are up to in terms that I can understand. Of course, OA 
does the same, but I, I'm going to need somebody smarter than me to to tell me what in the world they're up to. They they appear to me all of these moves that they're making with their stocks are pardon the unintended pun here, but they're like a bull in a china shop. I mean, whatever they do, they're going to leave their fingerprints on. Mm-hmm. The, whatever they do is going to impact what happens to the bottom line of y'all that are listening right. to us. Right, and, and what they have done, the moves they have made so far in, in over the last past three years have all been intended to obviously increase their stocks, but they did not want to hurt the world price. Right. Uh, so obviously we'll see what happens with this. If it, if it remains at a modest amount, uh, it could just be sort of like a small wave hitting you know, hitting the beach and it's there and then it's gone Yeah. and, and no great damage. Uh, I, hopefully it won't be anything worse than that at this point. We will keep our fingers crossed. Is that the last of our bullet I've got, points? I've got Is one that? other quick item because last time in the last podcast we talked about our acreage survey, Yeah. Uh, which uh, has been quoted and, and noted in several points throughout the cotton industry over the last uh, the last few weeks. Uh, if you recall, ours was a 5.9% increase up to 9.085 million acres uh, projected for this year in the U.S. Since then, a few more projections have come out. Uh, Informa Economics, which is based here in Memphis, uh, is forecasting cotton plantings at 9.369 million acres, so that would be up 9.2%. Uh, and the uh, analysts, and Ro- uh, analysts and traders uh, talking to Reuters have produced an estimate of 9.7 million acres, up 13%. Yeah, that would be so we are uh, we're rapidly moving from from one end of the scale to the other at yeah. this. Now the the one thing that uh, I guess I don't know if it's the voice of reason or not, but it's the one everybody looks forward to. Uh, we're all waiting for the uh, National Cotton Council's grower survey, and that will be released at their annual meeting February fifth through the seventh in Dallas. Uh, I believe it's set to release on Saturday morning, the sixth. So we'll see what the National Cotton Council says. Uh, and how their number factors in or, or figures in with everybody else's. You will be there. On I the will end. be there. Absolutely. Yeah. I would. We think closest to the target. I say nine. I say they'll put it at nine four. They always come right in the middle of, of the floor. They usually the do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, somewhere in there. I do like it when we set the floor. I like that we have set the lowest, and the ones that subsequently came out are going higher. What, which report are you looking at there? This is uh, off of an economics, an economist report out of uh, out of Lubbock. I like when economists cite our survey. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It makes us yeah. sound so much smarter right. than it. Hey, I did that. <laughs> cool. Um, okay, well, do we have anything else? I think that's it. That's all that I've the got The last today. of our news items for the day. Okay, well, gang, y'all stick with us. When we come back, again, I'm going to bring you This interview that uh, I conducted earlier this week with a Dr. Jim Hayward, who is the CEO at Applied DNA Sciences, and he was joined by Dr. Mike Hogan and Maylin Wan, uh, who are uh, a couple of vice presidents there um, at Applied DNA Sciences, and they are doing some really cool stuff as far as tracking, uh, sourcing uh, this cotton all the way through the supply chain at the you know at at mill level at retail level they can tell people via dna sampling where that cotton was grown in the world and to give you an idea of what they're after 
this will be able for people to identify, for instance, um, if a retailer is wants to assure people that his uh, products were grown, say we have human rights uh, uh, grievances, for lack of a better term, where you have children out there doing ch- child labor or producing cotton in some of the countries like uh, Ukraine or Eastern Europe. Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan, yes. forgive me, not Ukraine. Um, they can look that up and they can say, no, actually this cotton was grown in the United States of America where you can be assured it was done very ethically and mm-hmm. sustainably. So this is the type of stuff they're doing and uh, they can explain it much better than me rambling about it here. So stick with us and uh, I feel like you will surely enjoy that interview right after this break. So, okay, uh, this is Beck, and I am here with uh, some folks from Applied DNA Sciences. I'm with Dr. Jim Hayward, who is the CEO there, Dr. Mike Hogan, who is the VP of Life Sciences there, and uh, Maylin or Mylin? Maylin. Maylin Wine, thank you, forgive me, who is the VP of Textile Sales at Applied DNA Sciences. Uh, good morning, guys. Thank you for joining me. Good morning. It's a pleasure. Yeah, so, so, what we have going on with you guys, y'all were in the news recently, uh, sort of our peg here, is that Applied DNA Science has recently signed a cooperative research and development agreement with the USDA, which, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it sort of enhances your ability to do what your company does, which is to help uh, sort of using DNA technology to, for identification purposes to better protect quality, traceability, economic investments and things of that nature. Um, If you could tell me a little bit about the capabilities you guys have there at Applied DNA Sciences and um, sort of this service that you are teaming with USDA to offer the cotton market. Sure. Uh, Well, we utilize botanically derived DNA markers that are engineered for specific applications And in our case, we utilize that mark to prove positively the uh, point of origin of the cotton and to be able to track it thoroughly throughout the supply chain. In so doing, we really create uh, a value chain out of the supply chain, and we're able to answer the question for the consumer, for the retailer, for everyone in the supply chain, which, uh, put very simply, is where does this stuff come from and who has participated in uh, the uh, manufacture of that product? Now, our relationship with USDA takes us a great step further, and to that, I'll ask Dr. Hogan to have a word. Yeah, the, the relationship with the USDA is, is based upon the following. In addition to us, uh, synthesizing, you know, signature DNA and using that to label cotton. We also have developed DNA tests that can be used to determine the type of cotton that we're applying the signature DNA to. The current version of the test, based on the DNA that's already, the natural DNA that's already in the cotton, can be used to distinguish uh, high-value ELS cotton, P- Pima-type cotton, from upland, somewhat lesser quality, 
as a, as a simple test that's done actually on the, the, the cotton fiber itself, whether or not it's been labeled with signature DNA. The relationship with the USDA is with their um, ARS, which is their, their Center of Excellence for Cotton Genetics, and the idea is to take that kind of cotton DNA test to the next level so that we can subdivide and in in, get a higher resolution test so that we can subdivide the extra long staple cottons into their principal types and the uplands into their principal types in those instances where it's useful to determine what type of upland we're dealing with or what type of extra long staple we're dealing with. And with the extension of our relationship with USDA, our genotyping services will allow us to identify cultivars from around the world over. And uh, as a consequence, we will know if, for example, the uh, cotton fibers are themselves coming from a country that might use uh, forced or child labor in the production of its cotton. Yeah, I, I had seen uh, that specific issue, uh, you know, being able to recognize uh, cotton that was produced, like you say, from uh, in countries that utilize child labor or things like that. How locally, when you when you say uh, you can determine point of origin, are we talking about just country or down to region or state? How local can you get with that point of origin? You know, we have the capacity to engineer an infinite number of DNA marks, and we can make any DNA mark literally in practically infinite quantity. So if we're marking a, a farm, the mark could correspond to the farm, which was the point of origin for the fiber. Or perhaps some farms in a co-op are consolidating their cotton into a single gin, and we, the mark could symbolize a gin. It could symbolize a brand. It could symbolize a retailer. It could symbolize a claim, for example, of all organic cotton if it's been so certified and we have witnessed that certification or it could be a claim of sustainability and our mark can help enforce that as well or any socially uh, responsible claim that the uh, consumer is interested in purchasing right i, I know that um that this was jim that was just speaking correct Correct. Okay, so so I, I know you got, like you guys have mentioned, determining between uh, ELS and Upland uh, staple. You mentioned being able to determine between um, organic, organically produced and non-organically produced, for instance. Um, have you found, uh, and you may not, you know, you, you may not um, be aware of this, but is that sort of mislabeling or mischaracterization of an end product a problem uh, at retail? Uh, this is Maylin speaking. Sure. Um, we're finding um, mislabeling is happening at retail, uh, but also throughout the supply chain. And it doesn't just apply to cotton. I mean, it really applies to other natural fibers like wool, as well as um, even synthetic textiles that we found um, through uh, working with different uh, partners and customers globally. Um, really it comes down to that where there's potential for adulteration or diluting the purity of what the original fiber content is, uh, it, it poses a real problem and consumers now are much more savvy and aware 
of um, what they're buying, and they ask the question, where does my product come from? And that really stems from um, what happened with food. You know, the food to table movement really uh, sets the stage for where we are with textiles today, which is really going back to the source and making that connection um, between the consumer and the farmer and um, understanding, yes, this is actually truly uh, grown in America um, at this farm, and, um, and I know exactly where my product comes from. So, you know, this labeling is happening. It's, it's been happening for hundreds of years, um, but what's happening now is this change um, in the way the consumer consci is conscious of what's happening, and uh, brands and retailers that um, uh, decide to uh, be a part of this what we call a revolution in textiles um, can get ahead of the mislabeling and actually um, do some good by actually uh, um, helping the farmer connect with the consumer in a way that is actually has a real marketing advantage but also um, is a real benefit to the farmers in the long term um, because what they're doing will be sustainable. You know, uh, Maylin, so much of what you're saying there dovetails so nicely with um, what a lot of the cotton associations have been trying to accomplish in recent years, particularly through the Cotton Leads program. I, I wonder, have you guys been in touch with people like Cotton Incorporated or other of cotton uh, associations with this technology? Yes, um, and you know, part of our USDA uh, CRADA um, that we just announced um, was in part due to our strong partnership with Cotton Incorporated. Um, we've actually been working with them for a number of years on uh, different um, applications related to cotton fiber and the maturity of cotton fiber. Um, so, you know, this whole collab this whole program of using DNA, either through genotyping or as a tagging, um, really is a partnership with um, everyone in the supply chain including the trade associations and um, we you know look forward to um, continuing that effort because we feel that this is real relevance to um, improving um, the communities here uh, both on the farming side but also manufacturing and also helping in developing um, the whole textile economy here in the United States. Very cool. Um, tell me how soon do you guys see this technology uh, being put to use in the marketplace? I know um, this news release that sort of brought you guys to my attention was the partnership with USDA. Um, does that sort of open the door for you to guys to dive right in? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, our signature T-mark for uh, Pima Cotton, which is branded as the content brand called Pima Cotton, is already in the marketplace and sold nationally by one of the uh, largest American retailers. Uh, we're beginning to see strong demand even for our capacity to demonstrate and prove that the upland cotton under our homegrown trademark uh, is also being sought out by the marketplace quite aggressively. So last uh, harvest season, we supplied enough DNA to mark over 100 million uh, pounds of cotton, 
70 million pounds of that was the uh, Pima uh, species. And so that represents already a significant market share in our first year of launch. So we're building from that foundation and we're expecting to, uh, to have a very strong response by the time we're in the midst of the second cotton harvest season here in the U.S. And from there, we will be growing globally. I see. I see. You know, the people who who are our audience, the people who listen to uh, this podcast, are predominantly cotton producers, and um, it kind of seems sort of self-evident here that this service that you guys are providing is really sort of building um, demand or or uh, a better brand for these guys. I mean, would, would that be an accurate way to assess what you were doing? This is Jim again, absolutely, because the response from the farmers has been more than enthusiastic. We've uh, been thoroughly uh, gratified by the response coming from the grassroots, and the farmers recognize that this is a way to prove even their own farm's cotton uh, is in a particular product. Of course, it requires... Uh, similar responses for success of a program like this throughout the supply chain, converting it to a value chain. So it means the spinners need to have the same enthusiasm as do the weavers, etc. And our company offers more than a product, uh, more than a process, and uh, more than a system. We are altogether a a 360-degree service that can help every stage of the supply chain verify the quality of their product. And today's consumers are not going to diminish in their demand of wanting to know exactly where their product originated. Very good. Yeah, like I say, you guys sound um, very much like uh, every time when I when I listen to speakers from Cotton Incorporated, they talk about how savvy uh, consumers are uh, in today's market. So uh, that's just very interesting to me. I believe I've got just about enough from you guys. I want to thank you all for joining me on this cold morning. I know you guys are up in uh, New York, and it's, it's cold there. It's cold here, so uh, we appreciate you joining me. Uh, Dr. Jim Hayward, Dr. Mike Hogan, and Maylin Wan of Applied DNA Sciences. You guys have a good day, and we hope to be hearing from you soon. Thank you kindly. Thank you very much. Okay, guys, thanks. Okay, we are just about ready to wrap up this installment of the Cotton Companion Podcast. I do want to uh, have a little bit of a departure from our normal outro here. I want to take this time to invite you all to continue, please, to participate in our Text and Expert program, where uh, if you if you simply participate, you stand to win a $100 from a drawing courtesy of our sponsors at BASF. To enter, simply text the word COTTON to the number 313131. So that's 31 three times. Uh, from there, you'll be prompted to text us your farm-related question. 
you can do uh, a picture. You can include a picture if that helps illustrate what you're getting at. If you got a problem, uh, anything under the sun going wrong on your farm or a question, shoot it to us via that way. Uh, once a month, we will uh, select one question. Uh, we being the editors of Cotton Grower, Jim and I. And uh, we're going to match that question up with an expert in uh, the area where the question comes from, most likely an extension expert. Our extension friends are happy to participate in the program. And uh, we will feature that question and response uh, in the pages of Cotton Grower Magazine. It's exciting stuff. Again, it's fun to participate. You can help your cause there on your farm as well as possibly win a crisp Benjamin to put in your wallet this winter. So um, please do keep us in mind and uh, join us in this program. Now, uh, we want to thank you sincerely for joining us today in this episode again. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, by all means, tell your farmer buddies about our podcast. You guys are our best uh, marketers. So you and your friends can find the podcast by going to cottongrower.com and searching for, for the Cotton Companion or by subscribing to our channel on iTunes. Another great way to be sure you receive each installment of the Cotton Companion is to sign up for our weekly e-newsletter. That thing hits your mailboxes, your in-mail email boxes, uh, every Tuesday morning. You can do that by going to www.cottongrower.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you will find a link to subscribe to the e-newsletter right there. Uh, if you are familiar with iTunes on your smartphone, please go ahead and subscribe to our channel. Leave us a, leave us a rating. Let us know what you think of our podcast. Another way you can do that, reach out to us. Let us know you're listening is via social media. We are pretty darn active on social media. You can find us on Twitter at at Cotton Grower Mag or on Facebook you can find us by simply searching for Cotton Grower Magazine in the search bar. You will find our latest issue. The February issue. Will it be the February issue? It will be the February issue. should be hitting mailboxes within the next uh, week and a half. Okay, so be on the lookout for our February issue. Let me frame it like that. That way I don't get into uh, timing. Falsities. Uh, anyhow, yeah, be on the lookout for a February February issue hitting your mailboxes very soon. This podcast is produced by Mark Antonelli, who works at the Mothership Meister Media Worldwide in lovely Willoughby, Ohio. My name is Beck Barnes, and I will be back with you in two weeks on the next episode of the Cotton Companion. For now, on behalf of my own Cotton Companion, Jim Stebbin, we wish you all the best. <laughs>